0: Men are being transferred to women's prisons, not just in the United States, but also in Canada. This is putting the most vulnerable women at risk. An advocate for these women is Heather Mason. She is a former... Fentanyl addict who spent time in federal prison saw firsthand what this integration of men into women's prisons actually looks like, how it puts other women at risk. Since she has gotten out of prison, she has become a founding member of Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights, which is an organization that fights for the sex-based rights of women, especially vulnerable women in prison. She's going to share her heartbreaking story with us today and her experience in federal prison and how that actually led to the advocacy work that she does today. God has used her life in pretty incredible ways. And this is someone that we need to share the arrows with. Uh, This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to goodranchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's goodranchers.com, code Allie. Heather, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, before we get started with our conversation, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Yes. So my name is Heather Mason. I am from Sarnia, Ontario, Canada. I was an addict for many years, been incarcerated. When I got out, I became an advocate for federally sentenced women, um, looking at like their conditions, mm-hmm. um, Dealing with all sorts of the things that you deal with inside prisons, and it got me onto the topic of men who identify as women and transfer into women's prisons. So I ended up co-founding an organization called Causevar, so Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights, and I've been fighting for rights and protections to single-sex spaces and putting on protests across Canada to keep prisons single sex
0: Wow, I am very thankful for the work you're doing. And I want to make sure that we focus a lot of our time on that. But just so people kind of have the context of why you're doing what you do. I want to back up and just hear about your story. And we can go as far back as you want to. Um, Childhood, whatever time you feel like kind of led you down the path of eventually ending up incarcerated. Um, So start wherever you feel comfortable.
1: Sure. So my childhood, my dad was an alcoholic. He was always in a different city or even country working. He wasn't around much. My mom was an addict. I ended up running away from home. When I was 15 or 16, I started partying and doing drugs, but like most teenagers, well, I guess not all, some don't, but (laughs) a majority of them do. And then I ended up dating a man that was nine years older than me. And he got me hooked on oxys, um, which actually eventually led to doing fentanyl patches.
0: In oxy, like oxycontin, like the painkiller. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: So I first did that. And then, um, I, I blame it on the government. So all of us did oxys, you know, very few of us died. And then they were like, oh, we have a problem. Let's get rid of them. So what they did was they made oxyneos what made them harder to abuse and thinking that everyone was just going to quit doing them. But we didn't because we obviously had problems and didn't get the help we needed. So we actually changed to fentanyl patches and more people started dying. Um, You needed more and more and more. And the price of them just shot up because they started doing like the patch for patch program. So if you had a prescription to patches, you had to bring them back to the pharmacy in order to get your next prescription. So it skyrocketed the price of patches. And then all of a sudden, fentanyl powder started coming out and more and more people started dying. And where are you getting the
0: fentanyl patches and the Oxy? Are you getting it from prescriptions? Like how, how, how are you getting these drugs? So a lot of them did come from
1: prescriptions. We would buy them. Um, At one point, I had a connection with a guy who worked in a disposal plant. So all the patches that got sent back to be destroyed, I would get them for a a really good price. Um, So I ended up selling drugs with my ex to support our drug habit. It was the easiest way to be able to afford that habit without committing other crimes like robberies or thefts. Um, yeah, those types of crimes.
0: And you were how old at this
1: point? So I got addicted when I was 20. I didn't get arrested until I was 26. So I was 26 the first time I got arrested. Um, and then it was downhill after that. I was getting arrested every year. And so I did a bunch of time in provincial. Um, he ended up going away to prison And then I got arrested for the last time, May 6, 2017, and I ended up doing um, pen time. So I ended up getting federal time. I was incarcerated to three years at the Grand Valley Institution for Women in Kitchener, Ontario.
0: And tell me about the first time you got arrested. What were you finally booked for? Uh,
1: Possession. So also... My ex and I, we ended up having a child together, but like it was very toxic. We were on and off. So I actually had my own house and he had his. But that day we were together and we were walking to Shoppers Drug Mart so that I could get my prescription. Um, I was on methadone and I'm we sorry, ended up getting methadone? A- methadone is like a maintenance program. So you'll go to a clinic and you'll see a doctor and. You have to do urine analysis and they give you a daily drink. So it's supposed to, it's maintenance, right? So they're giving you a synthetic opiate in hopes that you're able to wean off the methadone and stay clean. And
0: this is while you were pregnant?
1: Yeah, with my second child. Oh, with your
0: second. So how old was your oldest at this point? Um, Almost three. Okay. So you had an almost three-year-old and while you were trying to sustain your um your addiction what was what was the situation like for your child
1: um not good um it was really hard to quit i was in a bad place yeah. um, self-loathing no confidence hated myself um and the the relationship that i was in was extremely toxic abusive mm-hmm. We shouldn't have been together but it was hard to stay away because of like finances yeah. but also just um trauma bonding right, right.
0: You know, there are so many ways that we can support life inside the womb. You can volunteer at your local pregnancy center. You can advocate on a policy level. You can have conversations with your friends about the importance of protecting the dignity of those children. And you can buy good coffee. You can buy good coffee from 7 Weeks Coffee, and they exist to not just provide you with a high-quality products, but also to support pregnancy centers across the country that are providing free and very needed resources to pregnant mothers in need, as well as their family. 7 Weeks Coffee uh, donates 10% of every sale to these pregnancy centers. They've donated over $100,000, support over 500 pregnancy centers. It's really incredible. Plus, Their coffee is organically farmed, pesticide-free, all that good stuff. It's really, really good. That's what we drink in our home. So go to sevenweekscoffee.com. Use code Allie for ten percent off your order. Sevenweekscoffee.com code Allie. Yeah. So, So, so you were pregnant with your second child. You were on the the methadone, trying to stay clean while you were pregnant, and then you said that you were walking together to get your prescription.
1: Yes. And the cops ended up arresting us on the side of the road. My son was with me. Mm. Um, It was pretty traumatizing. So they actually had a warrant to raid my ex's house. So they raided his house and they found a loaded sawed off shotgun on over under. So it took two different types of ammo and they found boxes of ammunition. Um, They also found some other drugs. So at the time when we got arrested, all I had on me was um, mace, like bear spray, yeah. which is illegal in Canada. Oh and really? I had wow. yeah. And I had a 25 milligram patch on me. So I ended up being charged with possession of a weapon and possession of narcotics. And then he was charged with everything that was found in his house because I didn't actually live there.
0: Mm. Okay. And so what happened? What happened to your son at that point? You get arrested, you get taken to jail. Um, what, where did he go?
1: Um, my dad actually came and picked him up. Um, the police let me call my father and he came to where we were being arrested on the side of the road and he took my son. Mm-hmm. And so I went to jail while I was pregnant. Yeah. Which was awful. Yeah. And then, um, I ended up getting bailed out and then two weeks later, I ended up getting arrested again. Um, But it was because I had an old, um, so it actually was a pen tube cut in half. So it was used as a hooter, like to smoke the fentanyl patches. So that was like in the bottom of my purse. So then I got possession of drug paraphernalia and because I was already on bail Um, I had to go back to jail and then my sister ended up bailing me out and I had a residential surety stipulation, which meant I had to live in my sister's house with her. So then I went to rehab and I got clean. My ex couldn't get out. So he ended up staying in and he ended up going to prison.
0: Okay. And, um, then you had your baby. And then how long were you clean after rehab and having your baby until you were arrested again?
1: Probably about, so she would have been six and a half months old when I got arrested again.
0: So I was clean for maybe eight months. Okay. And- the difficulty and staying clean, like you have two kids, you have some kind of familial support, um, but the draw is obviously there. The draw to drugs, I guess the draw to maybe even selling just to make that money. Tell us a little bit about what that's like for those who haven't experienced, like why is that pull so strong?
1: So I had a lot of trauma from my childhood. I had a lot of um, bad things that had happened to me. Yeah. And I didn't deal with that trauma. Um, And I didn't have a very good support system as a child. I basically was like on my own, had to fend for myself. I had to raise my sisters because my Mm. mom was high. Um, Our house was like overrun with um, junkies. So I would wake up in the morning before my sisters and I'd have to clean up the house because there would be like needles and drug paraphernalia laying around and mm-hmm. I would clean that up and then I'd get my sisters up for school um I saw a lot of things that I shouldn't have seen at a very young age mm-hmm. um I lost my childhood and had to become a parent very young
0: yeah
1: so I never dealt with any of that so I had a whole bunch of issues, and then also being addicted to drugs, you put yourself in precarious situations. Mm-hmm. So I've seen a lot of crime, a lot of violence, which com- compounded my trauma. Um, so I was in a really dark place, and I just the drugs gave me like an escape from reality. Yeah. They numbed all that pain, yeah. and I didn't have to feel those emotions. Mm-hmm. So I liked it. Yeah. Um, and then with the drug dealing, it was, I thought that it was the better option over, say, prostituting myself or robbing banks or breaking into people's houses and stealing their stuff. Like, I thought that was the better option. I was getting drugs. And getting them at a discounted price and then selling them to other addicts to be able to afford my addiction.
0: Right.
1: Um, Because just to let you know, because you probably don't know, I was smoking up to two 100 milligram patches a day. So 200 milligrams of fentanyl and one 100 milligram patch costs $600. So I had a $1,200 a day drug habit. Wow. How is that feasible?
0: Right. And so the only way that you were able to make it work was through selling. Yeah. And your sister, were you still living with your sister at this point when you got arrested for the second time?
1: No. So um, I'm grateful that my sister did bail me out, but it was rough because she was married. So in the house, it was her, her husband, her three kids and their dog. And then it was me, my two kids and a dog. Yeah, so, so there that. was a lot of people under one roof. So yeah. it was quite stressful. Yeah. So the judge eventually let me move back into my house because I've had my house the whole time, right? I was just like sitting there with all my stuff in it with no one living in it. Um, <clears throat> and I was probably back home on my own for like two months and then I
0: got arrested again. Yeah. And then your two kids now, they went to go live with your sister?
1: With my family. So my daughter went with her paternal aunt and my son went and lived with my brother.
0: Mm. And how long were you in jail at this point?
1: So I ended up doing, I got six months and did four. And then as soon as i got out again i was right back into the drugs cuz now i had the added guilt of not having my children and not like failing them as a mother yeah. um it was the first time i was ever alone in my life cuz mm. i was with my ex from the time i was 19 till all of this and i didn't know how to be alone i didn't know how to sit in those like feelings yeah um So yeah, I started using again. And then I ended up dealing with my charges from before because it takes a long time when you're going through trial and everything. So my first set of charges, I couldn't plead guilty to them. I had to wait until my ex went to court and pled guilty because they were afraid that if they let me plead guilty to just what was on me, that come trial, I would turn around and say what was in his house was mine and get him off. So they made me sit on bail and conditions for like two years. So I finally was able to plead guilty and I got weekends. So I was actually doing weekends. And I was just so messed up. Like I ended up overdosing in the jail on my weekends. Like Mm. the jail guards would know that I was extremely high and they would just throw me in in a cell and not even check on me. So they came to like wake me up for food and I wasn't waking up. And I remember finally coming to and like there was all these guards around me and the nurse was there and they were like trying to shake me awake and they were about to call 911. Um... And then they just went and put me in a segregation cell. Mm -hmm. So I really needed help. um, And I felt like the jail knew I needed help. And what they did instead of getting me the help that I needed was they called the methadone clinic, told them I overdosed and um, got me cut off my methadone.
0: Why did they get (laughs) you cut off your methadone?
1: Because they said that I was mixing all these different drugs and that being on methadone was increasing my risk of um, overdosing and dying, which is not, not false. It's true. Um, but c- getting me cut off of a drug that could help me get off these other drugs wasn't, yeah. wasn't the brightest idea. Like, right. obviously, you know, I needed either detox, rehab, counseling or all of them put together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I didn't, I didn't get any help there. Right. So I was still doing my weekends when I ended up getting arrested again.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I went to jail again, got six months, did four months, got out. And then I went right back to drugs again and Then I ended up getting arrested May 6th, 2017, which it was kind of like a blessing in a disguise. But um, at the same time, it's ironic because my house got raided and I heard the police come in. So, like, I jumped up out of bed and I had a little bit of dope and I hooped it. So, for people that don't know what that is, that means I shoved it up my vagina. Um, But there was a guy there. Um, He was a dealer from Toronto. And um, when he heard the cops come in, he threw all his dope on the ground. And he's like, It's not mine. It's not mine. It's hers. So I ended up, we both went to jail, but I went to jail with my drugs. And then I ended up getting charged for his drugs. And he walked on all the charges. So I elected to not go to trial. Um, The crown came to me and was like, I'll give you a plea deal, Um, you plead guilty to trafficking of fentanyl and I will give you three years. If you fight this and go to trial, I'm asking for five to six. So I took the plea deal of three years for trafficking of fentanyl and my co-accused walked on all charges Mm -hmm. Um, and karma because he ended up getting arrested like a year later for accessory after the fact to murder and he went to jail.
0: Okay, let me pause and tell you guys about Range Leather. Amazing company that makes amazing leather products. They make all of their stuff in Wyoming. It is U.S. made, and it's really, really high quality. I've got a bag. We've got a wallet from there. We've got jewelry. They make really cute jewelry. They also make custom hats that you can get uh, for your organization. Like they sell, they've got trucker hats, for example, and then on the front would have like a leather emblem of maybe your company's brand. I've got some with the Relatable logo on there. Really, really cute. My husband and I wear them all the time. We've given them to lots of friends too. And it's just a great company. They support the values that you and I have. They've actually been listeners of Relatable for a while. And they make really, really great stuff that I think would especially be good for a gift. Go to rangeleather.com. Use code Allie for 15% off your first order. Rangeleather.com. Code Allie for 15% off. Rangeleather.com. Code Allie. So then tell me about your experience in federal prison, because obviously, I mean, for anyone, it would be an impactful moment in their life, but you have gone on to then advocate for women who are in the system. So this must, I mean, you must have learned a lot in those three years. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the highs and lows, the lessons that you learned in some of the trials that you experienced when you were in there. Yeah. So obviously I had quite the experience. Um,
1: the last time that I got arrested, um, I actually applied for a transfer to Windsor, Ontario, where there was a new super jail. And I got transferred there. And I wanted to go there because they had more programs and more opportunities for me to work on myself. And in Sarnia Jail, there's, just, there's no opportunities. There's no programs. It's cement. You're in this tiny cell, locked down all the time. There's usually three of you per cell. So if people don't know what a cell looks like, it's probably like six feet by seven feet, if that. Um, There's a bunk. So there's a woman on the top bunk, a woman on the bottom bunk, and then there's a third person who sleeps on the floor. So from their waist down, um, it's under the bed. From their waist up, their head is beside the toilet. Um, So there's no privacy whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, There's nowhere to move, nowhere to walk. so I ended up going to Windsor jail where they don't triple bunk you and your rooms are, bi- your cells are bigger. I started attending church groups. I started doing like Bible studies. I probably completed um, tw- no 85 Bible studies through correspondence in the mail with church. Wow. Um, yeah. I really got into all the church groups. Like if it weren't for our Christian volunteers, I don't think I would be where I am today they were just like so loving and caring and they didn't judge me and they looked at me like I was human for the first time in I don't know how long and I needed that. Yeah. I needed them to um, support me and tell me I'm doing great. And yeah. I remember them always telling me that I have this sparkle in my eye and that they really think that when I get out, I'm going to do great things and mm. I'll be forever appreciative of them. So I did a lot of that. I also went to N.A. And then there was for the first time ever, um, they were doing a walls to bridges course in a remand jail. So remand is provincial. It's when people are awaiting courts um, or who have been refused bail. Because when you're sentenced, you usually are sent to a sentence jail. And if you're sentenced over two years, then you go to the penitentiary prison which is federal. So the university of Windsor had this course that they were coming in and doing. So it was like seven university students from the university and seven of us prisoners and a professor would come in and we would learn together as one. So it's like there were, they, they weren't better than us. We weren't better than them. We were equal. So I ended up doing that course, and it actually was a women's gender studies course, and it was my first hmm. glimpse of feminism. And I did that course, and I actually, when I pled guilty in court, they wanted to sentence me, and I was like, look, judge, like, I'm doing this university course. It's really good for me. Can you hold off on my sentencing? I want to complete this course and just sentence me to federal in three months when I'm done. And he agreed because I was bettering myself. So I ended up going to federal in December 2017. And it was like complete culture shock. Um, I never realized how bad provincial jail was, how badly they treated you um, until I got to federal because I was um, minimum security because I'm not a, I'm not a public safety risk. I'm not a danger to anyone but myself. Um, and you got responsibilities. Like, y- you had to wake yourself up. Um, you could walk without handcuffs. You could make your own food. Like, those things never happened in provincial. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely a culture shock. And then once I got there, I just was doing every single program and activity that I could do to keep myself busy and out of trouble. Again, I involved myself with all the church groups like Celebrate Recovery, mm-hmm. AA, NA. Um, but I saw a lot of really bad stuff while I was inside. I saw the way we were treated. Um, just... Everything like the abuse from the guards, um how women who were like ADHD and were on medication, the the prison right. won't give you your ADHD medication on the weekends because you're not in school okay. and you don't work on weekends. So then these women were unmedicated on the weekend, which impacted them yeah. huge, and yeah. they would act out, and then they'd be disciplined for it. Mm. Um, I just saw a lot of crazy stuff and it was really traumatizing. So they're not supposed to strip search you unless there's a need for it. I was strip searched well over 400 times. Sometimes I was strip searched four times a day, which is absolutely insane if you think about it, but you would be strip searched while you're on your period as well. So then you'd have to remove your tampon in front of them. You would also have to put your tampon back in, in front of them. They required you to squat and cough. So the whole time you're like, please don't get blood on the floor. Please don't get blood on the floor. And if you do, you have to clean it up in front of them. So it's really traumatizing. It's humiliating. Yeah, it is. And they would make comments about your body because they'd feed you like 3,000 um, calories a day, which are like all carbs. So you would put on so much weight. So while you're strip searching in front of them, they would make comments about your body. Like we're not already depressed and self-conscious as it is, and you just rub it in even more.
0: So basically treating you like an animal.
1: Yeah, like the scum on the bottom of someone's shoe.
0: So that's why it was so impactful, really, not just for the first time when you were in prison, but probably for the first time in your life when you like met with these Christian groups and counselors and you really felt like they just treated you like a human. Yes.
1: Yes. And they always tried to do special things for us. So they would try to bring us in treats or they would do fun activities with us. And like, they just really cared about us. And like, it really, really, it helps. And yeah. I think about them a lot.
0: Do you consider yourself a Christian now?
1: I don't go to church. Um, but yeah, I would say that I am. Um, it helped me through my incarceration. Uh, -hmm. I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't done that in jail. Um, and like what really changed me was I had all these weird things that happened to me. Like I would be doing my Bible studies. And so an example, this one time there was a woman who got transferred to Windsor jail and they were going to put her on range, but she told them that she, Her and I had beef. So the sergeant came in and was like, hey, do you know so-and-so? And And I was like, yeah, I do. We have a long history. And I'm like, she's the one that ratted me out. And he's like, well, you're doing very well. Like, you're doing a laundry job. Like, I don't want to see something screw up, like, you know, what what you're doing here. And I'm like, look, it's fine. Just put her on the other side. Like, I'm not going to engage with her. Like, what's done is done. Like, I don't care. He's like, well, you know what? I'm not going to put her on range. And I went back into my cell and I picked up my Bible study and like, I was like reading it. And it said, how can you ask God for forgiveness when you can't forgive others? And I just got goosebumps hmm. because like just little things like that just happened yeah. all the time when I was inside.
0: And Gosh, I mean, God just cares about you so much. I know that it seems like so many people and so many places failed you but obviously like it's obvious to me that he had his hand on you and that he even had his hand on your children and that he guided you in the way that you did and that he's redeemed your life so much and protected you so much and i just hope that those like christian women that you got to meet with were representations of that to you that it's not just them that that were loving to you but that they were showing you that the god who created you really really loves you and values you. And to me, just from an outsider looking at it, it seems like that was, that was really the game changer.
1: Yes, yes, it definitely was. Um, just so many things happened inside. Um, yeah. And I knew that there was something looking over me and leading me and teaching me, um, I felt it.
0: Okay, another break to tell you guys about my next sponsor, and that is ExpressVPN. As I say often, this is probably the sponsor that I use the most. Why? Because the ExpressVPN app is always running in the background of all of my devices on my phone, tablets, uh, laptop because I care about protecting my information, anonymizing my location, my identity while I am connected to Wi-Fi. If you're connected to Wi-Fi, especially public Wi-Fi, you are extremely vulnerable to hackers who want your information. They want to sell your information to the highest bidder. Well, ExpressVPN protects you from all of that, and it's really easy. You just sign up for an account, and you can use the same account on up to five devices, and you just make sure that you're app is connected when you connect to Wi-Fi and you can see it anonymizing, rerouting your location so it doesn't show internet service providers and hackers where you are or who you are. And I just get a lot of peace of mind from using this. I'm not some tech savvy person. So the fact that I could download this and use this and I use it so easily every day speaks to how easy it is for everyone to use. So I highly encourage you to get your VPN from ExpressVPN. If you go to expressvpn.com com/slash You get three months for free. ExpressVPN.com slash Ally for that three extra free months. ExpressVPN.com slash Allie. And so tell me about then getting out and then being the advocate that you are now. What made you start caring about women's sex based rights? Rights on the basis of being a female.
1: So just to backtrack a bit, but yeah, I it. was pretty, I was pretty oblivious to all of this. Yeah. So when I was incarcerated in provincial jail in 2015, it's when I first noticed that there was men who identified as women um, in the Windsor jail. Wow. They had um, different ranges. So they had direct supervision where guards were on range with you 24 seven, and you had quite a bit of freedom. And then across the hall was indirect supervision. And it was more like your um, cells. You didn't really get a whole lot of privileges. Um, the guards would come through every half an hour to check. And there was men across the hall from us. And I had the laundry job. So I was taken off range Monday to Friday. And the guards would walk me to the laundry because I did the men's laundry. And I, would, I always ask so many questions. I always want to know everything. So I would talk to the guards and they're like, yeah, like um, this person's a sex offender. They don't feel safe on the men's range. So they're hiding out on the women's range. And like the female these guards men who
0: identify be- as were they presenting as women? These men? No. Oh, no. Okay, they no. Were so just- they, they, okay. yeah, they still had their penis,
1: but they identified as being a woman.
0: OK, so they, so they wore- were trying to identify as these weren't just men who got a special privilege of being in the women's prison, they were actually trying to say that they were women.
1: Yes. And they all had sex crimes. So they were hiding from the men because they wouldn't be safe on the men's range because people who have crimes against women and children are not safe on men's ranges. Um, and when the guards were walking to the laundry job, like I remember the one day, them complaining that they had to strip search um, this guy that was across the hall, and every time they would strip search him, he would get an erection, Ugh. so they didn't want to strip search him. So that was my first experience of that, but I didn't really understand what was going on.
0: Um, but they still and then- separated you women from these men who identified as women. At this point, yes, this is 2015. Yes.
1: Right. So it hadn't passed into our Canadian Human Rights Act. It was only our provincial Human Rights Act. Okay. And all our provincial jails operate different, whereas our federal, it's, there's policy and procedures and they all are basically the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was transferred to prison, is in 2017, so gender identity or expression had just been added into our Canadian Human Rights Act. Hmm. So there were men there when I got there. Um, and then more and more were transferring in. And then when I was in the halfway house, so after I got released from prison, I had to live in a woman's halfway house in Toronto. And there was a man living there in our halfway house. Um, so to get back to your question, I received a Facebook um message. So I saw it and I didn't know who this person was. And it was April Halley who lives in Newfoundland. And she said, hey. I know that you were in prison. Can you talk to me about men in women's prisons specifically? Can you tell me about this person? And it was this long message. And I thought, who is this crazy woman? Like, yeah. I'm not telling her anything. Yeah. And the person who she actually asked about, I was in the halfway house with. Mm. Um. And then I ended up winning like a scholarship to... Um, this conference in Ottawa. So I was in the Elizabeth Fry halfway house. And the Elizabeth Fry halfway house is, there's a whole bunch of halfway houses across Canada for women. And I basically look at it like an umbrella. So CASE, the Canadian Association of Elizabeth Fry Societies is the top of the umbrella. And then the E-Frys are the spokes, right? Um, So CASE was having their national conference in Ottawa in 2019 and I won a scholarship. So I got my travel and accommodation paid for to attend this conference in Ottawa. So I went, this was June, 2019. And while I was there, they passed their inclusion policy mm. and a woman I knew from prison had gotten up and stated how she was groomed and sexually harassed by a prolific serial um, serial pedophile, Mm. well, at Grand Valley, and that it traumatized her and triggered her because she had suffered from childhood sexual abuse. And the women at this conference were like, you don't need a vagina to be a woman, and um, I don't like the transphobia in this room. And they didn't support her. They dismissed wow. her and she left crying. And I'm like, what on wow. earth is going on? Like, so she I just claims that in understand. prison she
0: was groomed by a man who identified as a woman.
1: Yeah. Matthew Harks, mm-hmm. who is a prolific serial pedophile.
0: And she was just shouted down. So like, I know that it's Canada and so it's different, but that's around the time in the United States of the Me Too movement and Believe All Women. So at the same time that that's happening, which we've experienced our fair share of this in the United States too, at the same time that's happening, basically women are told to sit down and shut up if the man who raped them or molested them, whatever, identified as a woman.
1: Yes. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. And it was crazy because all these women are paid to advocate for federally sentenced women. CAIFS is the only national organization in Canada that supports federally sentenced women and they betrayed us. Um, So it was a very intense weekend. There was a lot of yelling between the federally sentenced women and the people who worked for these organizations, there was a lot of crying. There was, there was a total divide, a total divide. I've never seen anything like it. Um, they did not support us at all. They did not listen to us. And I ended up there. I ended up meeting, a lot of women who didn't support the policy and actually all the workers who worked for caves who did not support the full inclusion policy ended up leaving caves. So they ended up having like an overhaul and now pretty much all the women that work there in support of um, trans women in women's prisons and halfway houses. Wow. So that weekend was my eye opener that's what got me to see what was really going on. And when I got back to Toronto from Ottawa, I went into my message folder on Facebook and I messaged April back and I said, what do you want to know? I'm ready to talk. And that's when I started speaking out and advocating for women and documenting everything and sending off access to information requests and finding like-minded women within Canada and. Co founding Cause Bar and putting on all the protests that I put on across Canada, it just lit a fire under me. And I knew that somebody had to fight for these women because the one organization that is paid to do it has left us behind, which is ironic because their um, theme of their conference was No One Left Behind, and they left us behind.
0: Yeah. Wow. And there are some statistics, like you've talked about it, The Outlet Redux has reported on this a lot, um, that a lot of these men who identify as women, most of them have a history of violent sexual assault. I mean, we are talking about violent rapists of young children. There is uh, one who was a a guy named Adam. And I can't even like go into the details, but he brutally raped an infant and then decided later that he was going to identify as the opposite sex was transferred to women's prison. This is happening a lot, not just in Canada. It's happening in liberal states across the United States. It's happening around the world, especially in these Western countries where these violent male rapists Pedophiles are suddenly realizing that their femininity has just been repressed their whole lives. And without question, they are being moved into female facilities. I mean, I don't understand how this isn't the top story that everyone is talking about right now.
1: You know what it is, too? um, A lot of people just don't believe it, They they don't think that the government would allow something like this to happen. Um, they're very naive. That's one thing that I'm not, I'm not naive. I've lived the street life. I've been around crime. I see the drug culture and the underworld. I know exactly how this world works. And I think that's the one thing that has definitely helped me in this fight. Also, well, it's not the one thing. It is, it is the thing that has helped me because a lot of people who do see it, are scared to fight because they're worried about their reputation. They're worried about criminal charges. They're worried about losing their job and their family. And it's like, well, I already have criminal charges. I'm not allowed in the United States. I already lost my family and friends. I already, you know, like I, I, there's so many jobs. I can't work because of my criminal records. So it's like, I've already lost all those things as a result of my own behavior so it makes me less fearful to go out there and fight and speak about it. Yeah. But a lot of people don't believe that it's happening. Um, I remember when I was in prison, I called my mom and I was like, Mom, like there's guys in here. And she's like, what do you mean there's guys in there? I'm like, yeah, men who identify as women. Like you don't need surgery. You don't need hormones. You don't even need to dress like a woman. You just need to say you feel like one. And she's like, like... She, she didn't believe me and I'm yeah. like mom like I'm not lying to you like you know and she was yeah. like wow mm-hmm.
0: Okay, y'all, let me tell you about Every Life Diaper Company. This is a pro-life diaper company. They believe that no matter where someone is from, what they look like, planned or unplanned, how small they are, Every Life is a miracle. So Every Life offers high-performing uh, high performing premium diapers created with your little ones in mind. They're made without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates, and they support the pro-life cause. So you can buy great diapers for your kids, everylife.com, and you can use code Allie for 10% off, but you can also buy a buy for a cause bundle. This supports families in need of essential items like diapers and wipes. So if you buy this bundle, Every Life will make sure that that bundle gets to a family in need to make it easier for them to... Choose life. Go to everylife.com. Use promo code allie 10 for 10% off your order. Everylife.com, code allie 10 Tell us about the instances that you've heard of, of women in women's prisons and not just women's prisons, but women's shelters being violated and assaulting assaulted by these men who identify as women. I think there's at least one case that I've heard of in the United States where a woman was impregnated by this quote unquote female inmate?
1: Yeah. So just so people know, our women's prisons are very different than men's prisons. So we live in like cottage style houses. There's like nine bedrooms, two bathrooms, a kitchen, a dining room, a laundry room, and a living room. There's no cameras in our houses and the guards only come through once every two hours to check on us. So there's a lot of freedom and a lot of ways to get away with things there. These men are not put in segregation. They live in these houses with us. Mm. Um, So there have, there have been sexual assaults. There's been grooming. There's been sexual harassment. There's been physical fights, um, criminal harassment. um, There have been charges laid. There's been other times where the police have declined to press charges Um, A lot of the women don't like to speak out. Um, I'll give you an example. So that pedophile that I was talking about earlier, he actually sexually assaulted an indigenous woman in the bathroom in um, Grand Valley, the prison I was in. Mm -hmm. And when the women found out, they locked the door on the house and locked him out and he couldn't get in the house. So he went to the guard station and he told the guards and the guards went to the house and they were like, you need to let her in or we're going to put bullying in your parole papers. So you get a parole report and it's given to the board. So if they if you incur charges or you have bullying in your paperwork or you have anything bad in your paperwork it can prevent you from getting parole. And the one thing these women want are to get out and to be with their family and their kids, right? So this deters women from doing anything about it, just taking it and not telling. Um, There's also a woman who finally had enough courage to charge one of the men with criminal harassment and sexual assault. And the the courts or the crown gave Mm -hmm. him a plea deal and allowed him to plead guilty to criminal harassment and he would drop the sexual assault charge. So that's what he did.
0: Wow. And this other man who, uh, let's see the Adam uh, Lubican, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, um, but he was the man who raped an infant and then was moved to the women's prison in Canada Uh, Because he said he identified as a woman and he was actually moved to prison that has a mother baby unit. And some of the women there who were able to, you know, spend time with their babies during visitation would say that he would just stand outside of the room and make them feel uncomfortable, intimidate them. I mean, this is really happening. This is this is really a man, really a pedophile, really a rapist that is in a women's prison harassing women who are incarcerated and their babies.
1: Yeah. So another difference with the women's prisons compared to the men's is we have the mother child program. So our children four years and younger can live with us full time and all our women's prisons in Canada have those. We have six women's prisons. Um, So, yeah, they will stand outside the mother child house and antagonize the women and stare at their babies. um, And there's nothing the women can do. So one woman confronted Tara. Oh, so Adam goes by Tara DeSouza. Um, and they ended up getting into a fight because this woman called Adam a pedophile. And Adam like picked her up and threw her, like beat her up, like beat her pretty bad. Wow. And the guards wouldn't do anything about it because she called him a pedophile. It's like, well, he is a pedophile, and this is what the general public would call him, but you're not going to support her because she called a pedophile a pedophile. Um, And the moms can't do anything, or they're at risk of having their child removed and sent to live with their family outside of prison. So they just stay quiet about it, and there's not much they can do.
0: Wow. Wow. So tell me what your organization does. So, COSBAR is nationwide.
1: Um, We have members from all over Canada. We support each other. We do group meetups. We advocate. We write letters. We put on protests we do all sorts of things. We have seven issues. So we focus on like lesbian women, washrooms, um, crime stats, prisons, sports. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we try to focus on and raise awareness um, and just keep recruiting more, more women. Um, Cause it can be a pretty lonely job um, advocating for single sex spaces, especially when you're you know, family and friends don't agree with what you have to say. So, having Cosper has been great because you can meet women in your area, and you'll have a support system. So, it, it's been awesome. I've met so many women. Like, it doesn't matter where I go in Canada, there's always a door open for me, and it's been awesome.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, tell me about some of the the pushback that you've gotten.
1: So for the most part I feel like they ignore me yeah. because they don't they don't want to raise awareness. Mm. They don't want people to know what's going on with the prisons. Um I do get like threats, um like death threats, rape threats. Um but for the most part it's I don't get too much pushback. Um politicians ignore me. Everyone ignores me. Um Yeah. I put on So tomorrow, actually, I'm putting on a protest in downtown Toronto to keep prison single sex. And it will be, I believe it's the 20th protest I've put on in the last um, two and a half years.
0: Wow. Okay. So how can people, how can people support you? I think eventually, like the more traction that you get, the more that people hear about the work. I mean, it's a good thing, but also, I mean, you're going to get people who are going to be very viciously pushing back against you, slandering you, and you're a tough person. You've been through it all. And I think that's, you know, why part of like why God has put you in this position and part of like how he's redeeming all the horrible stuff that you've gone through is it's also like inevitably toughened you a whole lot. I imagine there's not very many things that people could threaten you with or say to you that are going to deter you from your mission. <laughs> no, there isn't. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um so to support me, um I do have a fundraising page up. It's on my Twitter so you can make donations um to help me cover like the cost of travel, accommodation, food, gas, those types of things um cuz Toronto's 3 hours away from me. So tomorrow I'll be doing a 6-hour drive um to be able to protest. Um also you can follow me on facebook and twitter and come out to my protests you know the more people that are there um the more that we're recognized um also if you're in canada you can join causebar um and help me put out access to information requests or do research or collect data um there's always lots that can be done um but yeah, definitely if you want to support and you are in the
0: area, come out to my protests. Wow. Okay, well thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time to share your story for being so vulnerable and then for taking it and doing something that is courageous, especially in Canada. I mean, there's a there's a craziness that goes on everywhere, but Canada seems to like take things to a whole other level. America seems to like follow in the footsteps of Canada when they do something crazy. So it's. I mean, not everyone would have taken the stat that you are to say, you know, I'm not just going to like get clean. I'm not just going to live a different life, but I'm actually going to pursue a purpose that takes a lot of bravery. Not everyone would would make that choice.
1: No, they wouldn't. It's easier to stay quiet and just live a normal life. That is for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for for doing the next right and brave thing because someone's got to someone's someone's got to be the one to advocate for these women who really don't have a voice i mean you described how these women are objectified treated as absolutely nothing and because you've been there you can be the one to say yeah i've been her and her life matters her safety matters her protection matters and her voice does matter so thank you for being that advocate i do hope people um support you as much as they possibly can thank you thank you for having me on I'm